good. New Life, thank you for being here. It's amazing. It's amazing. God's doing tons of cool stuff. Um, we got back last week, you know, it was good to be back with you, and then boogied out, just back up north and doing some training and doing some really cool stuff and watching how as much as the enemy wants to thwart, like here's the deal with God, the enemy can do whatever the enemy wants to do, he plays his card way too soon, he plays his card all the time, so the enemy's always trying to do whatever he's going to do, you just got to understand how the enemy works, and I've been sharing that with you, you got to understand the game plan, you got to understand the battle plan, and you work that, and then what you do is you don't move according to the way you want to move, because the way you want to move is always retaliatory, and it always wants to fix your ego. That's all you, what you want you to do. You look it to the Lord. The Lord will give you the, to guide your steps and the directions. Then he'll give you his battle plan. And then he'll insert what he wants for his glory. Amen. To the end of the day, it's all about his glory. So every time the governments try to tell us you can't have Jesus in the middle of something that's kicking the bad word out of the devil, God inserts us right in there. And you get to preach Jesus. And you get to preach prayer. And you get to preach gratefulness for what you don't have. And then you get to utilize and teach the power of the Holy Spirit that will take what you do have to be a giant weapon to crush Goliath. You see what I'm saying? And so it's just amazing. And so the last couple weeks I didn't share with you, but, you know, we were doing board meetings and having some stuff. Kavod has... We have, we're moving our 501c3 out of the, for those that are in California, watch, I love you dudes, but moving that out of California and moving it to Texas. The cool thing about the Kavod going into Texas is there's a couple guys, there's like three guys that are doing chaplaincy in the tri-county areas in central Texas. And they're working with the sheriff's department, the PD, and the fire departments, and they So here's the cool part of it. So these guys said, hey, vote be the covering for our chaplaincy in Texas. That's what I'm talking about. So we sat down with them, and it was amazing to just have this complete camaraderie with dudes, and then them getting excited about wanting to do Band of Brothers in Central Texas. And it's just crazy. And their heart is, a lot of these guys that we're running with are special operations guys that have given their lives to the Lord wholly and completely. And so now they're wanting to do Band of Brothers stuff for the special operations community, the first responder community, to where we, they take the question that they have to the Lord, right? Not to our spouses, not to our friends, not to... Like, listen, here's the reality, the game check in this whole thing is that your question should never come to even me as a pastor. Your question should always go to the Lord. The Lord will direct you to a pastor for guidance or direct you to somebody who loves him in guidance. But our first question, when we're doubting anything, when we're struggling with anything, our first question should always be to Yahweh. Papa, I don't get this. Papa, I don't know how to fight this fight. Papa, I want to put a bullet in that dude's face. Like, sounds crazy, but come on, you all feel the same way, right? Evil's evil. Papa, how do we do this? What's your game plan? Technical difficulties. So anyhow, that's just kind of a little bit with you that, you know, we talk about this stuff. I was, I was sharing with a couple guys this week during, during training, and we were discussing that. And I said, hey, y'all need to read Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Everyone, I believe every believer should read this little book called, Sun, it's The Art of War by Sun Tzu. He's a famous Chinese general. I don't know why he got so famous. His tactics were brilliant, but he was obviously the, I don't know, don't want to offend anybody, but they just can't fight, right? But the book, I believe, was this. You know how the Bible tells us that God will use bad for good? He'll turn things that are bad for good. If you want to know how the enemy strategically is trying to kick your butt, read Sun Tzu's The Art of War. If you want to know his tactics, read it. And then look at those tactics... And your eyes will be open to the Word of God because you'll see those same tactics that the Canaanites used, the Philistines used, that, that Satan used against God's people. And so whenever you read that, like there's, I say this all the time, guys, it's so important for us. Because 
this is what's happening, what we're going to talk about in Judges. And so there's, there's stuff that's prophetic that's taking place. There's stuff that has already taken place, and there's your story in the story right now. Right? So your story's in the story. Bless you, bless you. So your story's in the story right now. You've got to find your story in the story. There's relevance in it. <clears throat> so here's what the enemy wants to do. Have you ever talked to a family member or a friend or an associate or anyone like that who in the, in the biggest victory, like they're moving forward, it seems like there's no opposition at all, they stumble and fall or taken out by the enemy? You ever met people like that? And you go, man, life is going so good. What were you thinking? How about this? Have you ever noticed that people just fall under immediate attack and they say this and never saw it coming? Sun Tzu wrote in his book, All Wars Based on Deception. When you are near, make your enemy believe you are far. And when you are far, make him believe you are near. Devil behind every bush. Paranoid to move. I'm afraid. What will the world think? Man, what if we do this? This is the retaliation of it. If I do this, is this. That's the enemy who's far from you, but he's making you believe, and he doesn't have to do the work because you're doing the work for him. But when he's, when he's near, it's the scariest. I look around, we're talking to team guys, whether it be here, Kavod, we're doing ministry here. If we're not getting some kind of substantial assault, I get really nervous. Super nervous. Man, I start going, I go to the Lord in prayer. I'm up in the middle of the night praying because I'm like, Lord, here's the deal. He's super close. You're closer than the skin on my bones. But he's super close, and I know he's close because he's trying to get me to put the guard down. And if we put the guard down, he will assault us so fast that we won't be able to get our guard back up. God, may we never put down your shield. It happens that way. So I believe that strategically in our own lives, you look at it. Look at these ways and go to the Lord. Lord, how do I fight the fight you want me to fight? David did it all the time. We live in a world where our churches will just teach wokeism. It's gonna, we're going to hit it today. We're living in a time. It happened already. It's happened before in history. It went away. Now it's back, and I believe this is back at the end. Right? But it's like we got guys that, that teach wokeism, just total woke. Christians aren't supposed to hate. Prove that to me in the Bible. Prove it. David cried out, God, let me hate your enemies with perfect hatred that you with your perfect hatred. Let me hate the things that your enemy hates that you or let me hate the things that you hate. He wasn't feeding his ego. What he was saying is, God, there's things that make that turn your stomach. That God says, hey, man, like in the Proverbs, when he says, when scales are not weighted, the word for that, when he says it, he, he hates that, it actually means he physically wants to vomit when there's injustice towards people. He's physically sickened. We'll walk down the street and see injustice and do nothing. God doesn't want us to hate. There's big crybabies. Seeking comfort over truth. As long as I get mine, I don't care if there's injustice to you. That is not good teaching of Scripture. I'm not telling us to be warmongers, but I'm telling you, it's a time that we got to stand up and fight in the truth, not for the truth. The truth doesn't need fighting for. Do you realize that? The truth does not need fighting for. A fight in the truth. Spurgeon said this. A bunch of people at the world, at the big Chicago uh, zoo carnival circus came in. There was a big lion in a cage, and all the guys were poking it with sticks, and the lion would just lay there. <coughs> and a murmur happened a bunch of mu- amongst, the, amongst the men that were poking the lion. And they're all, the lion won't defend itself. Spurgeon said, open the cage. The church needs to have, we've we've locked ourselves in. Satan hasn't locked us in. We've locked ourselves in. The fight against human trafficking, and ever in my life, it is a black spot on the church. 
How dare we wait for corrupt governments to fight against the evil that they profit from? should be the church that leads the charge. It should be God's people that lead the charge, regardless of imprisonment or death. Any injustice. And we sit back and we're worried about the church. They're going to close us down. Come close the church down. You'll never close the church down. Bring your stupid laws to this place. It'll never shut down. I'll go so deep in the jungle and everyone who's a true follower of Jesus will go so deep into the jungle. We'll gather together and worship the Lord and there's nothing you can do about it. How do I know? Because history will repeat itself. It's done it over and over and over again and you cannot silence God. You cannot silence truth. This is, it's, it's this rally call. But we should be spurned in this fight not to be right. Not, God's already right. Listen to me. We're spurned in this fight to live this life in this world not for our ego to be right, but for our concern for the lost. I should be willing to say, as kind as you were to me, Lord. Sounds like a weird oxymoron, but it's true. The psalmist wrote, Jesus, it was your kindness that drew me to redemption. It was your kindness. Yet at the time that it was his kindness, Jesus was in the fight, the biggest fight this earth has ever seen. The dude's braiding cords. This was not a spontaneous reaction to evil in the church. Jesus, he, dude, have you ever, I don't, I don't do it Jesus' way, but have you ever just had that, like, I'm setting it up, baby. Game on. You want to play the game? You want to play the game? I'll play the game with you. And you strategically begin to do stuff so you can get done what you need to do. There's deep thought with it, right? That's what Jesus was doing. He went into the temple and flipped over those tables and then whipped some people, stung them a little bit. But at the same time, his kindness was drawing people. And who was he drawing to him? The religious were hardened to it. But the prostitutes, the drunkards, the poor, the greedy, we forget that Matthew is super wealthy, but he had a gaping hole. And it was the kindness of Jesus' offering of invitation that he came to him. This is, it was the kindness, yet at the same time, Jesus is in the fight. He's in a fight for you and I. In Judges, we've been looking at all the different names of the Judges and what they mean and those of you who follow along, each one represents Jesus. Every judge's name is a representation of the type of Christ. And we're at this point with, in Judges with Samson. And Samson's this weird enigma because when you read it, if you don't read it in context of prophetic, you'll get really, it's hard sometimes. I sat there and like this whole week even reading it, getting up every morning, six, getting ready for training and stuff, and I'd just jump in this, I'd read it, I'd go, and I would laugh with the Lord go, this stuff is crazy. Lord, show me what this really is. This is just flat out crazy. I'll read it to you. It's crazy. Unless you say, Jesus, what's the game plan here? And show me what is, is happening here. I believe chapter 15, we're going to finish chapter 15, and the next week we'll, we'll head on 16, right? I don't think I'm going to have time to get 16 today. So, but I believe this. This is my personal opinion. Now, I'm not building doctrine on this, all right? This is my personal opinion. I believe that chapter 15, going into 16, is a prophetic picture of the church today. And I'll, I'll explain it to you. There's things in there. Jesus has come, and he's doing certain things. And I believe that we've seen it before when Jesus came. And it's prophetic of what it's going to look like today, 2,000-something years later since Jesus was here. And you can look at it with me. We'll do it together. It'll be a fun time. Now, as we get ready to start in 15, remember that last week, at the end of it, it says that he gave his bride away to the, his best man. The author here is going to give us really what happened here. And so we're going to have this complete understanding of it. And we're going to see... Now, remember when we read this, you're looking at a man. Samson was a man. He was not God. 
He's a type, his name meaning of it. He's a type, he's a judge. He's bringing certain attributes into the world, this repeated cycle of the falling away and redemption, falling away and redemption, and what happens when there's rule with the Lord. So it says this in verse 15, Lord, open our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, this is your house, and we're guests here. So thank you for letting us be your kids. We love you in Jesus' name. It says, later on, it was during the wheat harvest, Samson visited his bride, bringing a young goat. He said, let me see my wife. Show me, uh, he says, show me her bedroom. So the story, remember we write these letters, the story is taking place. He leaves after that first, where he just kills all those dudes that were messing with his wife, that were convincing his wife to do it. It's a type, we see it. It's what the world does to us all the time. It manipulates. It does It's a picture of it. He destroys that. We saw that there was 30. We saw that Jesus was sold for 30. There's so many of these little significant pictures that look with it. Now he's had time. He went away. He came back. Like he's still the groom. Samson's still the groom here. Okay? Now watch what happens. But her father wouldn't let him in. He said, I concluded that by now you hated her with a passion, so I gave her to your best man. But her little sister is even more beautiful. Why not take her instead? Now there's some trippy stuff here. When we read that on the surface level, you read it and you go, what does this mean? Like Samson, there's this. Like what's going on here? Giving away. You got to look at it from a spiritual perspective. You got to start looking at the father here is representation of the world. The bride is gone. You left. You're not coming back. So we as religion will offer you another bride. We'll create something that you can't and we'll offer it to you as a sacrifice. It's mind-boggling when you look at it that way. Because if you look at it that way, you can't justify the debauchery that we justify today. Oh, Samson did it. David did it. You look at it from the spiritual side of it. I concluded that by now you hated her with the passion. How many times have you heard that? If God really loved us, if God really loved the world, why is there so much war? He hates us. Now watch what happens here. Samson said, that does it. Right? That does it. This time, remember, his name means the sun god or this bright god. And he says this. He says, this time when I wreak havoc on the Philistines, I'm blameless. Dude, there is so many pictures on that. Remember when Jesus before this time, remember when Jesus, when God flooded the earth? What did he say? They have turned against me, man. I'm blameless. I will have the remnant. But I'm blameless in this. They've chose this. It is this picture that's happening in, in Samson's time that's a picture of what's going to come upon us in Revelation. Where he says, I'm blameless. You've turned your back on me. I've given you nothing but love. I've given you everything. And he says, I'm blameless. Samson then went out and caught 300 jackals or foxes. He lashed the foxes' tails together in pairs, and tied a torch between each pair of tails. He then set fire to the torches and let them loose in the Philistine fields of ripe grain. Everything burned, both sacked and standing grain, vineyards and olive orchards, everything. This is what happened. You read that, you go, what does this mean? Like, the foxes. One, it's kind of a cool thing, because the dude physically went out and caught 300 of those little buggers. Dude, that's skill set. Like, honest skill set. I used to go hunting, pheasant hunting all the time. It was a standing. We didn't care what the game warden said. Every farmer, when we'd hunt their fields, give us permission to hunt their fields for pheasant, every one of us would say, we don't care what the laws are in this state. If you don't kill every fox that you see, we'll never let you hunt our land again. So we all had different loads, man. <laughs> We're like, fox! We'd stop, we'd stop the pheasant hunting and chase foxes around and just kill them. Had no idea. So I began to look at this because there's a significance. You go, he caught these foxes, tied their tails together. Now listen, foxes aren't tame. 
Samson would be like, they'd be biting him. He had like bite marks all over him. He's like, what are you doing? Pop. But he didn't kill them. And he ties their tails together, and then he lights them on fire and turns them loose. So you can imagine the two, the, the stronger fox wins, you know. It would have been something cool to see, actually. But there's carnage that takes place. The fox in the Bible is nothing good. Nothing. This is when I start looking at this and I go, guys, you've got to look at this with spiritual eyes. So I want to read a couple things to you. One noticeable fact about a fox and its usage in the Bible is that it represents evil and negativity in every time it's mentioned in the Bible. Evil and negativity. It's an agent, a fox is an agent of destruction, a sign of opposition and sinfulness. Every time, from Nehemiah to Samson to Solomon to Jesus speaking about the political, about Herod. Right? Let me read some. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, put a torch between the tails. Remember that when Samson was born, he was born into a Nazarite vow. Samson didn't take the vow, he was born into the vow. All right? This is very significant. It happens next week. We'll see what goes on. To this. But the vow is his, regardless. The vow is his. It's almost a special stamp on him, okay? And it is God's stamp on Samson. Is you cannot break this vow, okay? And his, he's become the deliverer of a nation from the opposition of the Philistines, of the world, okay? He launched attacks. We've read about it. Killed thousands of soldiers. God gave him supernatural strength that no man could match. Samson was a rock star. I mean, seriously. He used the jaw, which we'll see, of a donkey to kill a whole bunch of dudes. All right? Samson would go after him. Now listen to this in Judges. It says this. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines and burned both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive orchards. They ran into the farms in pain. Okay? So these guys, foxes represent false prophets, false teachers, those who would come into the church, satanic, all of them, they're on fire. It's a picture. They haven't been set on. They're on fire. And their words burn what they come in contact with. It's a picture of what opposition, what they do in the house. They'll burn everything down if you listen to them. These guys are destructive engulfing their fields. These guys, the fox, is this agent of destruction, right? But God takes the agents in this picture. He's trying to show us something. God is saying to you and I, don't take your eyes off of me because I will take the agents of destruction that intend to destroy you as my children and I will bound them to become destruction upon their own. I will take the enemy to kill the enemy. I want you to think about it. You think I'm way off base here? Jonathan, the armor bearer, climbs up the top of the hill with his, the armor bearer. The armor bearer is a representation of the Holy Spirit. What happens? It gets up there. They fight. They climb the cliff. They get in the fight. We've, I've shared the story with you. Man, they are killing dudes, but they're exhausted. And at the moment that Jonathan goes... Man, I, I'm at, I, I don't have no, I'm tapped, baby. I ain't got nothing left. God turns in, creates this earthquake, confusion amongst the troops, and the enemy, Jonathan the armor, are standing there. Like, his, his hand's probably frozen on the sword. Have you ever worked so hard? Some of you guys may be already up there. You're working so hard that you can't, like, I remember in construction or shoveling, we'd be working so hard for such long days that you, it, you almost had to peel your fingers off the hammer or the shovel, and it hurt. So you can imagine Jonathan standing there holding a sword. He can't even open his hand. Historians tell us that the Spartan warriors would fight such long battles that they would have to hold their hand in warm olive oil for hours so their hand would unlock. They, they're tapped. There's nothing left. They have nothing left. You're going to see that with Samson. 
They have nothing left. And then God comes in and he takes the enemy and the enemy devours itself. He's trying to prove to us, to all of us sitting in this room, whom shall you fear? When we put our hope in Jesus Christ, whom shall I fear? He wants us to see that we, He is our strength. He is our salvation. Who are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? You're afraid of losing something? He'll give it back. You afraid of losing your life? Gain the whole world? Lose your soul? It's amazing when people get sick. Their tune changes. But those who are followers of Jesus, it doesn't change. It doesn't. They just go, par for the course, baby. I'm going to go out 110 miles an hour in a power slide. Say, Jesus, is that you? I was just in a power slide. Right? You hit a tree. I didn't know. Here I am with you. Right? It's all good. Jesus will take your enemies if you quit fighting them the way you fight and you start saying, Jesus, what's your plan? What's your strategic plan? Right? They're a sign of opposition in Luke. He said, go tell the fox. This is what Jesus said. He said, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Jesus was teaching, right? But the Pharisees and other disgruntled elements were not pleased with him because Jesus threatened all they represented. So he teaches, what does he call them? They're foxes. You go tell those foxes that my teaching is pure and theirs is weighted. It's a heavy yoke. It's a burden. Mine's pure. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to live under religious bondage, so be it. You hear me say that all the time here. You want religion? Go get religion. But don't come back crying to me. If you want freedom, then we're going to worship and follow Jesus here. We're going to go deep into the Word. That's what we're going to do. I'm not going to put a, a yoke on you. Why Jesus wouldn't put a yoke on you. Why would you put a yoke on you? Because the enemy wants to oppose his, his teachings were like missiles against their false teachers and evil lifestyles. Jesus was a punk rocker, man. I'm not kidding you. Jesus would fire away. You think Jesus was just all like laid back the way the world wants him today. Now my brothers and sisters, friends of the church, Christians sitting in here today. No, dude. He's like, Jesus was this type of dude. He'd be standing above. If we put the Southern Baptist Convention, the Calvary Chapel Convention, the non-denominational conventions all together, the Catholics, Anglicans in a great big room. Jesus, that dude who's standing there, he'd go, hey, I'm your keynote speaker today. Yeah, you're all a bunch of vipers, man, snakes. Y'all like freaking, I've, I've wanted to gather. All my people like a hen gathers her chicks, but you brood of vipers, you'll go all over the earth and you'll tell people about my dad. This is real. You'll tell people about my dad who you don't even know, who you've rejected, and I'm the image of him. As a matter of fact, I am. And you make them worse sons of hell than they were before they even knew me. He's speaking to the religious elite. He's firing shots. The dude's not even, he's, they're not warning shots. He's just shooting into the crowd. He's like, here, catch this, pal. Pal. People are like, he was so mild and meek. I like it when they say meek. I go, yeah, he was meek. You know what meek is? The word meek, the definition in the English, English language for meek is power under control. Do not mistake meekness for weakness. Do not mistake my kindness. Jesus is like, do not mistake my kindness for your, to being, I'm okay with your sin. Jesus is firmly rooted against the opposition of the fox. Herod sent some Pharisees to Jesus so that they would kill him. However, Jesus compared Herod to a fox in the sense the fox represents an opposer and especially of the move of God in his work, right? 
Herod was irritated by Jesus' works. Jesus confronted him with boldness, listing all the good things he, he had done. That's how we beat him. You don't ever have... Listen, if you are... I'll say this in a nice way. There's no nice way to say this. If you are defending your faith by the denominational views that you have, you are an error. You defend your faith by the good works that Jesus and the Holy Ghost has worked through you. That's how you defend it. And you're bold with it. My church does this. My church does that. So what? The question is, Jesus gives it. Like, Jesus wants to give us his DNA. His DNA is what? He, he counters with boldness listing all the works that he's done, the good works. We've raised the dead, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, sin is cast out. Herod, what do you got to say about that, you fox? Foxy, right? Listen, today we're filled. Our politics, both in America, Belize, around the world, are filled. Our politicians there's some good dudes. You can't just whitewash everybody, but I'll tell you, majority of them are foxes. You know how I know it's election time in Belize? The politicians start coming to church. No joke. There'll be a steady stream of visits into this church. They get my vote? Nope. Not one of them. God's not for sale. It's not for sale. All right? They disguise as government policies to cripple the church's growth and limit its activities, right? We are obligated as a believer not to run away from these foxes because they can do nothing. You can gather up the foxes if the church, the followers of Jesus will just stand up and unite. Do you realize we'd crush human trafficking if the church literally globally stood up? We outnumber these suckers. We sit silent. I'll sit with people and tell them, like, hey, what, you know, what do you do? Tell them a little bit about what we do. And I'll go, it's happening right here in your city. No, I just had the conversation yesterday or two days ago. That doesn't happen in Belize. There's no way it happens in Belize. It's happening right here. It's happening. Oh, I, don't, I can't believe that. But good thing, brother, you're doing the work. What? These are your kids. These are our kids. These are our sons and daughters. These are our wives. If the church would rise up against it, do you know the policies globally to combat human trafficking, the policies that are in place, the laws that are in place are to protect the trafficker? You know how limited we are in every country that we go into? We are limited in the fight. We're restrained. We have to walk a gray area. I can't go in it on camera. But we have to walk a gray area. And the traffickers do whatever they want. Crazy. The fox represents the little sins. Solomon wrote it, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Right? Guys, it's the little sin in your life. The fox represents that little, because when we look at the fox, we go, oh, it's a cute little bugger. He can't do much damage. You ever heard that story, the fox in the hen house? The fox in the hen house. Put a sheepdog in the, with the hens, the fox will never go in. Fathers in this room, husbands in this room, future husbands in this room, you better frickin' learn how to be a sheepdog. And I don't care what any woman says, you got to stand fast. I love it when a woman says, your toxic masculinity, good, I'll continue to hold my toxic door open for you. You're misogynistic. Oh, I'm misogynistic. Because I want to make sure that no dude ever puts a hand on you. That's Man, I'm giving you permission 
to be toxic masculinity. You've got to be a sheepdog in this world to protect the children and other people's children and other people's wives. You've got to be a sheepdog with integrity that when someone else's wife asks you for help, you go to protect the property, not to go into the home. We have to be the ones that protect the honor of those around us as well as protect the honor that God bestowed upon you. Little sins will ruin it. Watch this. The, sin, the foxes represents false prophets. There's so much in this, in this little section. Oh Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts, Ezekiel 13.4. How many people come in and they preach? Man, I'll, Lisa will tell you, I'm, I'm her biggest bane. Like, I am her... She, she is just because I'm always like, nope, don't listen to that. Nope, I'm not trying to be a dude. I'm like, what's that dude saying? What's that dude saying? What's that chick saying? Show that to me in the Bible. That sounds good. It's emotionally good. Back it up. Because if it's backed biblically, then the emotion is real and won't go away because it's in tune with the joy of the Lord. They're foxes. The prophet Ezekiel labeled false False prophets these foxes. They're known to be cunning. False prophets, prophets are deceptive, taking advantage of the spiritual unsound to feed themselves prophecies, create fear, and take advantage of them. Dude. Dude. You guys need to be very afraid. Jesus is coming back. Think about that for a second. Y'all should get up, kick the chairs, and leave this building. And never come back. Hey, Jesus is coming back. Be ready, baby. It's going to be a good time. We got some fighting to do until he comes back, right? We should be excited about the return of Jesus. Hey, do we need to be smart? Sure. Oh, God, World War III is coming. Yeah, I know already. It's in Revelation. It's coming. It's coming to your door. Okay, buy more guns and ammo. I don't know. That's what I'm going to do. Right? I don't know what to do. But what I am, here's what I do know what to do. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and keep preaching Jesus and doing what Jesus says to do. Because the foxes don't want you to do what Jesus wants you to do. They want to deceive you. They're deceptive. They creep in to teach us the things that are not truth with, sprinkled with a little bit of truth. Right? It's just crazy. Their craftiness, their, their, their spirit, their characters coming from the father of lies, the devil. Remember Jesus again, Jesus the punk rocker. Man, Jesus is like, dude, I love Jesus. Have you ever, have you ever seen Braveheart? You ever seen that movie Braveheart? Right? Braveheart's, I love Braveheart. And I love the part in that when he, when he goes, William Wallace goes, hey, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to pick a fight. That is the spirit of Jesus. But he's not picking a fight with you and I. He's picking a fight with our adversary. And our adversary cannot fight back. Jesus walks down there and goes, hey, pow! And the enemy goes, I'll show you. He's like that bully in the playground. Right? He can't fight Jesus, so what does he do? He goes after the weakest link. Those who don't have their eyes. Because if he comes to you, and you're a follower of Jesus, you're in tune with Jesus, and he hits you, one of two things are going to happen. You're gonna, he's going to hit you, and you're going to go, ah, it kind of hurt. And then, pow! He gets it. Because Jesus is like, hey, that's my kid you just hit. Right? Or you're going to fire back and pow him and stay behind the shield. A good friend of mine who goes all over the world doing crazy stuff says, hey, man, Johnny. Calls me Johnny. Johnny! Johnny, when you poke the devil in the eye, he swings back. So keep your head up behind the shield, but keep poking him in the eye. Navy SEAL buddy of mine says, hey, John, never let evil dictate how you live your life. And when it rears its ugly head, pull out your 9mm and shoot it in the face. These are all, these are believers. The concept is still the same. 
is these false prophets will come in and strike fear in you. We're not supposed to have fear. Why? Because the armament that God has given us that we read about in Romans, the full armor of God, is Jesus Christ Himself. It's not this physical armor. It is spiritual armor from every piece. That's, who, that's what we've got. We can march in this fight and not be timid. All right? Man, these foxes are deceiving. They're tricking. They're tricking people out of the will of God because they're afraid. If you say that, you might lose your job. Okay. Ooh, that's going to suck, but God's going to provide. And I'm not going to be stupid about it. But even during the COVID time, man, these dudes threatened me, threatened me, threatened me, threatened me. I kept telling them, no, no, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Do it this way. Okay. Do it this way. Okay. Do it this way. I get threatened and all kind of stuff, man. I can't say online, but afterwards, if you want to know how comical it was, it was like it was the greatest thing ever. It was so funny. They'd come and attack me, tell me I had to do stuff, and I never had to pay a dime for everything they asked me to do. Craziness. Right? The fox, here's something in your own life. Guys, foxes are the enemy of your progress, both spiritually and physically on this earth. You work hard and you plant a harvest. You plant those grapevines. The fox comes in and destroys everything because you let it in. Kill that sucker. Nehemiah felt it. What did he say? He says, build the wall. It's the foxes who tear down and make the little holes in the wall. It's the little things that you tolerate, right? Foxes are a sign of desolation. Desolation. You ever notice that foxes, one, foxes don't live together unless they're breeding. When they're not, they're always apart and they're always in a desolate place. Is that where you want to be? Is that who you want to hang out with? I see a fox, I realize, ah, oh, this is the enemy. The enemy ain't got no friends. Do you ever see the enemy? Like, I want you to grasp this concept for a second. In the Bible, when David defeated Goliath and everyone started turning and killing each other and God's people ran on him, did you see the enemy actually take up arms against God himself? Have you seen it ever in the history of mankind? Have you ever seen it in the Bible? Where Satan actually physically takes up arms against God? He can't. Why? He's desolate and he's a coward. And so those that are living that way, that's how they live. Isolated. Desolate. Picking off what little things that they can get on their own. Right? So going on with this, you see this. <clears throat> that this, this picture prophetically right here with the, the foxes is this picture of what's taking place, I believe, in the church today. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about organized religion. You guys can all hear it. There's hearsay. There's all kinds of stuff. We see it in Belize. We see it with the whole debauchery that's taking place with different people without making offense, but some of the stuff you just go, man, dude, what are you doing? Man, we're seeing it now with some great guys, guys that I've watched and stuff is coming out and you're like, holy cow, what are these dudes thinking? And the church is going awry, right? Man, I saw recently and there's stuff, and I get certain things, I go, man, that brought you to tears? That event brought you to tears? I'm not judging you, but good God, your city is the sex tourism capital of the world. And that brought you to tears. There is more abortions in the world today. Millions upon mil hundreds of millions. And that brought you to tears? Good Lord, my friend, what have we become? We've become this picture here where the foxes are running around and God's saying, I will catch them because they're hurting my bride and I will tie them up and I will set fire to their own. He says this. He went out and did it. The Philistines said, who did this? They were told Samson, son-in-law of the Timite, who took the bride and gave her to his best man, which is a lie it's a lie the father did that so we're catching them in lies here you grabbing this a lot of, i've heard pastors say 
yeah, Samson was a good guy. He gave his bride away. No, the Bible doesn't say that. You need to reread your word. That false father, who was not the father of heaven and eternity, the picture of the, world, of the earth, will always give away his bride because he's always about his own gain. Okay? To the Philistines went up and burned both her and her father's house. This is how Satan repays Satan. Just went and burned up, burned them up, killed them. Samson then said, if this is the way you're going to act, I swear I'll get even with you and I'm not quitting until the job's done. There's a piece here that though his bride was given away, she was still his bride. And Samson said, you want to play? Okay. It's what God is saying today. Though the, a lot have turned away from God, <coughs> God is still saying, she's mine first. And Satan, you took her and the world took her. Your payment's coming. There, the psalmist wrote that every tear is caught. He holds it in a vial. I believe personally, my personal, that on that day that Satan stands toe-to-toe, face-to-face, not toe-to-toe, but face-to-face with Jesus, Jesus will hold that vial of tears that's been shed by everyone, every mankind, from those who have suffered the abuse of war to abuse of being raped, to cancer, to car accidents, to hatred. Every tear that has been shed, he will present that to Satan and go, now for eternity. You want to play the game? Now the game. Right? With that, he tore them, ripping them limb from limb. A huge slaughter. Then he went down and stayed in the cave at Etam Rock. I'm going to go quickly here. But dude, he took all of these Philistines, tore them limb from limb. Again, could be a little bit of a stretch, but I believe it's a picture of the end time when we start to see the Valley of Megiddo. Because if you begin to shred people, you're seeing blood flow. It's not just a killing. It's a massive flow of blood. It's crazy. And you look, you go, oh my gosh, is it the thing? No. Is it a picture of something? Yes. The Philistines set out to make, made a camp in Judah, preparing to attack Lehi, which means jawbone. When the men of Judah asked, why do you come up against us? They said, we're out to get Samson. We're going after Samson to do to him what he did to us. Okay? This is crazy. Here's this picture of the church, I believe. Organized religion, I should say. Three companies of men from Judah. Now this is his own people now. This is Samson's own people. Okay? Went to Judah, went down to the cave at Etham, rock, and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines already bully and lord it over us? So what's going, what's going on with you making things even worse? What are you doing? Freaking cowards. Hey, if we do what you tell us to do, right? You do what I tell you to do, I'll let you live in peace. Don't you know they bully us? My grandfather used to teach me, hey, you know how you deal with the bully? You walk up and you punch him in the face. My grandfather was a godly man, but he understood something that we've lost in our world today. The bullies are like terrorists. They intimidate those that they can and when someone else walks up, I would rather get my, I got thumped several times for fighting guys, two or three guys. It ain't the movies. Two or three guys are going to beat you. But you got to get the one. You see what I'm saying? Get the one. But then I got this reputation. But what happens is when you do that, you know what happens in the school, in the playground? The bullies go away. Because the bullies know when they start to bully that one guy comes off the fence, next thing you know, two or three jump off the fence. Then four or five jump off the fence, and you just look out on the field, the bullies go their own way. These guys are being bullied. They got their gods. They're of the tribe of Judah. And they're cowering to evil. They're taming the lion and the bear. And now they don't know how to fight Goliath. So what are you doing, Samson? Watch what he says. He said, it was tit for tat. I only did to them what they did to me. 
He said, they wanted to do this. I did back to them what they did to me. He's talking to his own people here. Guys, listen, man. They deceived. I made them pay for their deception. They stole. I burned up what they stole. Half the stuff in the greenhouses is your stuff anyways that you're never going to get back. It's all burned. Did it for you. They said, well, we've come here to tie you up and turn you over to the Philistines. I hate to say this, dude, but I will talk to people, man. Even if I was in America, it's like we have tried to tie up Jesus and hand him over to the federal government. We are the most powerful force on the face of the earth. Do you realize that if the entire church fell to its knees, it would move the earth physically? If we all just went boosh. The earth would go boom. We cower. Well, let me tie up the truth. Let me tie up justice. Let me tie up goodness. Let me tie up all that is good and turn it over. Let's, let's do that. We call that the good idea fairy. When the good idea fairy shows up, shoot it too, because it never is... If you're ever in a planning meeting, here's a little side note, a little rabbit trail. If you're ever in a planning meeting and someone says, I have a good idea, respectfully and kindly tell them that their idea is not good, shut up. Especially if the plan is already made. It's always the good idea, very always shows up when the plan's already made and you're pushing. Hey, I got a good idea. It's like, it'll thwart the plan. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Afterwards, if you want to know how we know that's true, I'll tell you. Okay? Samson said, just promise not to hurt me. I love it. God has a sense of humor. He does. Jesus has a sense of humor. Promise you won't hurt me? I'll let you tie me up? Promise? Promise? I'll do everything you say. Just promise? We promise, they said. How can they make a promise? They're all a bunch of liars. It's like catching you. We will tie you up and surrender you to them. But believe us, we won't kill you. Okay. Interesting. They proceeded to tie him with new ropes, and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him, shouting in triumph. And then the Spirit of God came upon him with great power. The ropes of his arms um, fell apart like flax on fire. The strips of leather slipped off his hands. He spotted a fresh donkey jawbone, reached down and grabbed it, and with it killed the whole company. Well, liar, liar, pants on fire, baby. Right? And this is what he said. With a donkey's jawbone, I made heaps of donkeys of them. He basically said, you're asses. I made asses of you. It's crazy. I know it's like not politically correct. Pastor said a bad word. No, it's true though. The Lord laughs when the nations make plans against him. I have this tiger or a lion on my wall and it's a hand-painted. Lisa bought it for me. It's, it's the most amazing thing. And every now and then I take it off and on the back of it, it's this roaring lion. That, it's beautiful. On the back of it, the, the, the author titled it Undomesticated. Jesus came to this earth not to be domesticated but by mankind, but to remain undomesticated, to lead sheep to victory. And he will not be domesticated. Samson's this type of Christ that you will not domesticate me. You will not bring me into religiosity. You will not bring me into political correctness and woke statements and speech. I will never side with injustice, nor will I tolerate injustice. I will give you truth and I will speak it in love, but it will always be truth. The truth hurts, especially if you're the one not living in the truth. Jesus stated this stuff. Samson's a picture of that, right? He says, with the donkey's jawbone, I killed an entire company. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. He named that place Ramath Lehi, Jawbone Hill. Now, this is the man. Now, this is this supernatural picture, guys. And I want to close today with this, because this is for us. And it's a picture again, where he's like alluding to something that's already taken place. And it's a prophetic picture of that will take place, but it's also a prophetic picture for you. 
Some of us, listen, some of us have never experienced this because you've never picked up a jawbone and fought. You've never climbed to the top of a hill and then fought to utter exhaustion. I don't know what that looks like. Sometimes it's spiritual. But watch what happens. Now he was suddenly very thirsty. He called out to God, You have given your servant this great victory. Are you going to abandon me to die in the thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? One of the things that we see, and I'll share a very intimate thing with you and those of you that are all like, hey, will you cut that? No, no, leave it on. Is one of the things that we talk about when we're working with guys and praying for people that are combating human trafficking is this. Don't become the evil that you fight against. It's very easy to become the evil that you fight against because of that world. And I can tell you there are times that I've come home from doing stuff, from praying for guys and giving food to people that have come home and I have to take time away and I've become very thirsty. Because in this world, guys, you will do stuff. We're not perfected yet. And our emotions take the best of us. And all of our, sometimes our emotions aren't godly emotions. Sometimes they're filled with ego or hatred. They're motivated by pain. But you're fighting this good fight. Soldiers experience this. They're fighting this fight. You're fighting this fight against corrupt government, against corrupt businesses, or however it is in your home. And it comes to a point, this is the realness. This is you finding your story in the story where Samson's exhausted now physically, but he says something very spiritual. He says, you have given your servant this great victory. Are you going to abandon me to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson is saying, God, I'm thirsty, not only physically, but spiritually thirsty because he has been drained and everything that he has emotionally in Christ, he is given out for others. And he's a dry hole. So before we judge Samson, you also have to put your place in that place. Have you ever been in a situation where you fought so hard for somebody, whether it be staying up three or four days in prayer for them, whatever it may be, doing what we choose to do, what others tend to do. Have you ever been in that place where you're so dry, but you have just enough left to say, God, I'm so thirsty, my soul. David was there. Oh, my soul, as the deer panteth for the water. Oh, my soul longeth after you. Because sometimes you're going to go into a place to fight evil that is so nasty and gross it drains you. My soul longs for you. Because I've forgotten what you look like in the midst of this darkness, but I know that you're there. Watch this. So God split the rock basin in Lehi. Man, there's so much stuff in this. Moses, I don't need you to hit the rock. I am the rock. I'll give myself to you. You see, here's Jesus here. This is Jesus ministering to Samson. And it's a picture of how he wants to minister to you. He's saying you don't need to hit the rock. All you need to do is ask the rock. God, I'm thirsty for you. I'm dying here. And he splits the rock, and out of the rock, water gushed out, and Samson drank. Both spiritually and physically, being fed by Christ in the midst. This is not a pretty picture what he just went through. Guys, we were not promised an easy life when we said yes to Jesus. so much, but go on. Here we go. Listen to this. It says, Samson drank. His spirit revived. So not only physically, but it's this picture. It's a spiritual picture. Not only was he physically revived, but spiritually who presented himself to him? Jesus, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost cradled Samson in his deepest time of need. In his deepest time, he was alive again. That's why it's called in Hakor, Collar's Spring. That is where Lehi is today. I cry and I pray this for everyone in this room. 
that your prayer for this week would be Caller Spring. If you're struggling, if you feel alone, if you're unsure, if you feel like, hey, I've been in this fight, I don't know what to do, then you call out this in Hakor. Lord, let the call, I'm calling to you for your spring of life. Split the rock for me, Papa. Split the rock and let me drink of you. Give me life again. Because we live in a world that wants to steal life. And Lord, if I'm revived by you, if I'm revived by your spring, then I too can share because of your Holy Ghost within me and on me that I too can share that living water with somebody else. Lord, be that for me. So I pray that for you guys. It says that Samson judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. We're going to close it out next week, but it's just this beautiful picture, and it's not always pretty. You've got to find your story within the story.